Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. So the reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace of your presence among us this morning. Open wide our hearts to you, even as you've opened wide yours to us. Open our ears, dig out our ears, that we may hear you speaking to us clearly, a conviction that comes from you. And may I preach as never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Amen. I recently came across the account of a daily prayer meeting hosted in the 1750s, a little while ago, by a Mr. Matthew Bagshaw. Now, I got this story from our own bishop, Bishop Paul, who is no mean historian. And uh, Matthew Bagshaw uh, lived in the notorious slum district of Nottingham, known as Narrow Marsh. Some of you have heard of Broad Marsh. Well, apparently there was also a Narrow Marsh. And this was near the start of the 18th century revival. Now, Bagshaw had come to faith through the preaching of John Wesley. Many of you will know that name. Uh, One of the fathers of Methodism. Uh, Thrown out the Church of England, by the way, for getting too excited. (laughs) An aspiration for some of you. Uh, Wesley spoke in the city. And... um, And Bagshaw was converted. Now his house was at the bottom of long stairs below the high pavement, close to St. Mary's Church in the Lace Market, which many of us will have visited. And a diarist at the time put it like this. The place, the place of the prayer meeting, was not very commodious. Great word. But Matthew was an ardent Methodist and therefore possessed of an inventive genius. (laughs) He resolved to counteract the defect as much as possible. 
He could not enlarge his premises, but he managed by an ingenious contrivance to double the amount of available hearing space. He broke through the chamber floor and made a large opening. I think we have this quote on slides for those wanting to follow. A large opening into the room below. So several hundred people could crowd in to join the prayer meeting. It was from this place that Matthew had the honor of being committed to the house of correction by the mayor of Nottingham. Again, another aspiration. The charge against him was that he encouraged a gospel prayer meeting without consent of the authorities. Naughty boy. That included especially the Church of England, which was spiritually and morally asleep during most of that period. The diarist continued. Many of the persons who were in the habit of attending the meetings went voluntarily to prison with him. As a consequence, Nottingham Jail itself was soon turned into a gospel meeting. And singing and praying went on merrily. This, the keeper of the jail, could not bear. And he complained to the mayor about it. Orders were given for their discharge. And returning triumphantly to Narrow Marsh, they went on holding their meetings for prayer in Matthew's house. Wouldn't it be great to see that happening in our jail? Uh, Within a year, a rudimentary chapel was built nearby in Hockley to host 500 people. And in the two decades that followed, a great number of people professed new faith. Many new churches were planted and the whole city was blessed. Crime was reduced and commerce flourished. By the mid-19th century, it would need to happen again. Let it be so again in our time, Lord. This is our vision as a church, a church on fire, a city alive. We don't put these seats out so that you can warm your bum on them. This place, we are longing to see a move of God that that sweeps us up into it and sends us out to the nations. This is a dynamic moment where God is calling people to be on the move. The time for passivity, the time for... for, uh, Sitting still is over. The church has a mission, and it is the moment for church, the church of Christ, to rediscover her mission and to be sent in and on that mission for the sake of the world. Look what God can do with one person, Matthew Bagshaw. How many hundreds of people are in this church now? I don't know. I don't count, but there is a few. What if 10 of us, just 10, received the same unction on our lives that Bagshaw had upon his. So much so that we knocked through the floor in our chamber. I don't know what that even is. It sounds like a toilet to me. (laughs) So that people could be part of our prayer meeting. It is extraordinary what God has done in this place. And over the last few weeks, we've been taking time to look again at our vision What it means for us to do that, to reassess the question, why are we even here? Do you know, I've said this before, let me say it again. We we didn't come here to do church slightly better. Some of you are saying few because you're not doing church slightly better. And I probably would agree with you. But that wasn't the aim anyway, so that's, that's fine. We came here because God has in his heart to stir up his church afresh. Why are we here? We said that we said we want to see the church on fire, a city alive. That has always been our intention and our hope. And we said that a week one of our vision series, if you can remember that far back, 
beyond all the different metaphorical sort of renderings of what it means to be on a mountain. We saw that we're at base camp, ready for an adventure. We're only just beginning. And we said that we're going to need to, to receive new gifts from God and to lay down past experiences in order to engage in this, this mission, this new season in fresh ways. Uh, week two, we said that we are here to seek personal renewal, which means allowing God to bring about the transformation we want to see out there, first and foremost, in here. And that is courageous. And we are called to that courage to face into our past. Do you know, in moments of transition, God always causes us and calls us to look backward first. To receive healing so we might share that healing with others. And then the next week, this was last week now, we talked about how God has commissioned and called us as a church to raise up a generation of revivalists. What would it look like to turn the church upside down? And to begin to think about the young first, not as kind of a, an annoyance standing in the way of the mission of God, but actually the primary purpose of the church being to disciple its young and to send them out in mission. And today we're going to look at the renewal of the church, which really is the sum total of everything we've said thus far. So turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Just a short reading to make up for last week's enormous tract from Mark's gospel. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. To the mountain. Now everything that happens here in Matthew is taking place in the light of the resurrection appearances that Jesus has already offered to his disciples. The disciples in Matthew have just discovered this reality of the resurrection and, and it's only beginning to shift and to shape their understanding of who they are. They haven't fully begun to integrate it into their experience, but they're told to go to the mountain and so they dutifully do. They go to the mountain to meet Jesus. And what do they find on the mountain? Well, they find on the mountain what we've been saying along, you will find on any mountain. This is a place for new information to be revealed, for new revelation to be given, for new perspective to be received, for new instructions to be handed out. And yes, the mountain is also a place for another week of a vision sermon. And it's here that the 11 remaining disciples meet together with Jesus. Here they are representing the rest of the disciples who can't be gathered there. Here they are representing every disciple through history. Here they are with Jesus, the resurrected Lord, representing you and I. And what do they do? They do what we've been doing this morning. They worship. It's good this morning, wasn't it? It's good. It's good to worship. The, the response of the disciples instinctively in light of the resurrection of Jesus is worship. Now this isn't sort of bowing in uh, some kind of veneration, some kind of honor, because they've seen that Jesus is, Jesus is human plus. Already in virtue of the resurrection, the disciples here clearly understand that this, this one is God. 
And so they engage in the appropriate response. They fall towards Jesus. They, the word worship, proskuneo, means to draw toward with a kiss. They bow down in worship in the same way that they would God the Father as they would have known him. This is God's son, and the only proper response was worship. And yet, in the scripture, there's a tension. There's worship, and alongside it, there sits doubt. They worship, and some doubted. Somebody once said to me that this word doubt is a bit like discombobulated, which I don't know if that's even a word, but if it's not, it should be. It's kind of like that they couldn't integrate the enormity of what they were experiencing. It was too much. Uh, one, uh, someone I read about this said, it's like some were hesitant. It said they worshipped, but some were hesitant. They weren't entirely sure. Why were they hesitant? Well, they'd had several days to begin to think about the bewilderment of their Jesus, firstly being crucified and then being raised from the dead, but they couldn't integrate it. Now, this word comes at one other time in Matthew's gospel, and it's the moment where Peter's walking on water. He steps out. And then there's a moment of doubt. There's a moment of hesitation. It's just like he's overwhelmed with the data. All of it, all the reality of what's happening, it's like it rushes in on him all at once, and he's just, mind is blown. He begins to think about things, and and there's doubt. It's not so much about intellectual doubt, but it's about not knowing how to behave in this new situation, not knowing how to incorporate this new understanding into a previous understanding. It's an overwhelming sense of newness. And so in that moment, he's in two minds. They are in two minds. They are caught between a previous understanding, a previous paradigm, and a new paradigm. And I believe for many of us, that's where we're at at the moment. We've come far enough with God that we cannot go back And yet, if we're honest, we are not fully where we need to be. That's where we're at as the church. I believe, honestly, I think uh, a lot of what's happened in the last few years has taken us beyond a previous understanding. If you are in the room, you've already got through a series of crises that many of the people who used to sit alongside you in church have not made it through. And you're here. And you're here to worship. You're here because you love him. You're here because he's called you. You're here because his spirit lives in you and your deepest longing is to give him everything of you and yet you're not yet there. So they worship and some doubted. Maybe they doubted because the last time they saw Jesus was at Gethsemane and they were running away from him. How will he treat us? What will he say? The point for today is simply this. These disciples are just like us. Just as in this room there is a mixture of faith, of worship, and doubt. Just as in your heart and my heart, there sits alongside each other worship and hesitation. So in these disciples, the one that Jesus is about to give this great commission to, there is both worship and there is both hesitation. And that should ring in your ears this morning as good news. It is to these disciples these instructions are given, not to some ideal group 
of people in some far-off mystical place that we can know as the early church. The early church, who always get things right. We just need to go back to the days of the early church, where, uh, as I think I remember from Corinth, people were sleeping with their own mother-in-law. No, not that bit. Not that bit. The bit, the other bit. There is no, and there was never, an ideal moment It is to people who are filled with worship and doubt at the same time that Jesus gives the command. What is the command? The command begins this way. Jesus came to them and said, all authority. In fact, before the command, there's a piece of information. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the fundamental foundation of everything Jesus is about to say. This is the piece of data that you and I have to integrate in order to come into the thing that Jesus has for us in the future. This is the piece we have to catch if we're going to be part of what God is doing in the next season. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And I've got to be honest with you, most of us don't really believe that. Myself included, we don't really believe that day to day. We think that Jesus is more powerful than us. But we don't think he's more powerful than our problems. And so Jesus says, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, and therefore, go. Therefore, go. Go. Depart. Get on your bike. That's what the Greek means. Get on your bike. Just like last week, we learned, didn't we, with Peter and the disciples uh, on the mountain of transfiguration. They, they, it was a great place to visit, but they couldn't stay there. And it's the same here on this mountain. Same with Moses in the uh, Sinai. You can come here, but you can't stay here. Go. This new experience of Jesus' glory isn't for the mountain, it's for the valley. Do you know, the Christian faith is a faith on the move. It is not a static faith. It is not a settled faith. Can I tell you what one of my aims is every week that I have the opportunity to preach here? My, one of my principal aims when I preach here is to disturb you. I'm being perfectly honest when I say that. I want to confront you and disrupt you. Now, some of you I want to comfort. But if you're comfortable, I want to disrupt you and disturb you. I want you to leave this place with a stone in your shoe irritated, dare I say even offended. This is not a static or settled thing that Jesus is calling his disciples in to. It is a missionary movement and we need a missionary mindset in order to lay hold of it. And so Jesus then says, well, go and do what? Well, to Abraham he said, just go. Just go. And Abraham's like, well, okay, I'll go, but where am I going and what am I doing? And he says, just go, and you'll find out when you go. Now, Jesus is a bit more generous. He gives them a little bit more data. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Literally, produce apprentices. Or we might say, multiply yourselves. It's actually the same commission that he gives to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. It's a, this is actually a, another commission, the second great commission in Scripture. Probably not the second. 
Multiply your cells. And, and then it gives them some data on what that would look like. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. Well, baptism, immersing them, and make disciples, multiply yourself and immerse them. Immerse them in this death to life story. And obviously, in, also do that sacrament thing where you get them wet, right? To represent this deep transformative thing. Do what I did with you, Jesus says. Baptize them, immerse them in this new community, this new kingdom culture. And teach them to obey that word is fascinating. It means to watch over or to guard. Teach them to guard everything I've commanded you. What has Jesus commanded them so far? Well, read through Matthew's gospel and you will see. Principally, this means teach them to guard, teach them to understand, introduce them to King Jesus. Show them to live in, how to live in his kingdom. And yes, that means the ethical content in the Sermon on the Mount as well. And it means teach them how to do the miracles. It means teach them how to preach the good news to the poor. It, it means all of it, everything that's in the book. Teach them how to live the gospel today. And surely, when you're about that, when you're on your mission, when you're doing that stuff, you'll find that I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And who are you to do this to? To the nations, the ethne, the pagans, the, all the people out there, not just to the religious people. Not just, don't just preach to the choir. Don't just preach to the Jews. Take it to the streets. Take it to the world. Take it to the ends of the earth. What a great commission. This is the commission Jesus gives to those who worship and to those who doubt. This is the job description of all disciples of Jesus. Both those who are confident and those who are hesitant. This and no other these and no other are your marching orders, are my marching orders. How do you feel about that? I hope you're terrified. I hope you are. You should be. I am. Unfortunately, over time we have seen this great commission increasingly as an unreachable goal for the majority of disciples. The thought of replicating ourselves has seemed so out of the realms of our skill and possibility that we've been willing to outsource it to professional Christians. People who are paid to do that kind of thing, special saints. People maybe who are less busy than us, more knowledgeable than us, who know things like Greek and Hebrew. While the rest of us are content with taking a supporting role, coming and supporting that great man or woman of God's ministry from a distance. Have you ever noticed that many of our churches are arranged in order to bring about that exact result? And so the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. Because no matter how great the preacher, the leader, the nun, the monk, the local saint, they simply cannot be a disciple 
where you have been called to be a disciple. And so renewal of the church must mean each and every Christian picking up the Great Commission as the basic description of what their life is about. This is the mission of the whole church for the sake of the whole world. It's got to begin with you and I. If you and I are not engaged in this, then whatever is happening at the institutional level in the church, it will mean nothing. Nothing. Do you hear me? We can plant a thousand great churches, and if all that happens in those churches is people just show up, listen, and I won't use that word, leave unchanged and unwilling to do something in their regular life, we may as well not bother. In fact, we're we're going to be working against the Holy Spirit. We'd better be doing something else with our time, with our resource and our energy. Now this doesn't mean that you have to leave here and set up a new ministry, a charity, or even a church group. It's much simpler than that. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know what they wrestle with? Do you know their longings? Do you know their fears? Do you know their hopes? Could you pray for them? Have you asked to pray for them? Have you told them you're praying for them? Have you asked the Holy Spirit what he's doing in your workplace? Or in your family? Or in your school? Or university? Have you asked him how he is calling you to play your part? Have you asked him why he called you there? Not why did you get that job, but why he called you to that place and what his desire is. Have you asked him what it would look like to see that place on fire with this presence? Have you asked him to give you a holy longing, a holy imagination for that place? Have you simply said these words, I am willing? See, that's the point about Matthew Bagshaw. He's not a clergy person. He doesn't wear a collar. He gets sent to jail because of that very fact. He's just a normal bloke who met Jesus and would not stop testifying about what he had heard and what he had seen. And it is at this point that I believe we must repent. Every one of us, and probably Christian leaders first, because we've set up a system in which the rank and file, the majority Our churches can function without engaged congregations. And that's a travesty. That's a desecration of the vision of the church that is in Jesus' heart. My question simply to myself first and then to you is, are we engaged in our kingdom mission? Are we activated in it right now or are we passive Of course, that's the first stone in your shoe. I hope that bugs you all week. The second thing, though, is to to say, well, the renewal of the church means recapturing and and rediscovering that call. But it's also about renewing communities of faith. And we have a vision for that here, too. Now, as I said, the first one is essential for the second one to be meaningful. But we believe that churches, and that, by that I now mean local communities of believers, gathered in a place and sent from a place, organized into groups, 
so that people can gain and gather meaningful relationships in which they're held and encouraged and nurtured, those kind of things, worshiping communities, they matter to a vision of renewed discipleship because they are places where burning hot coals can be kept with other burning hot coals so that they don't grow cold. Thank you. So that the heat's not lost. Churches are forward operating bases to sort of gather a a military image. Uh, Positioned behind enemy lines in every local area where disciples are enabled to be on a military footing. Waging war against the kingdom of darkness wherever they are called. That's what churches are. They are thin places where people can encounter the living presence of Jesus gathered together with other saints and where people who have never known him can walk in and weep and say, what is this presence I sense in this place? And that happens here, church. I want you to know that. We hear stories of that. Churches, gathered local environments, are hospitals for healing. They are places for ongoing spiritual renewal. They are boiler rooms of fervent prayer. They are universities for training and equipping in the kingdom. There is no other institution that is committed to training disciples in the kingdom. But the local church is, or at least should be. They are centers for commissioning and sending us into whatever God has for each of us. What they are never is places for entertainment. And because of that, we are determined to play our part in the renewal of the local congregation across this city and across this county in partnership with our diocese. And because of that, we are making it our aim, our priority, a priority to raise up and send as many humble, holy, spirit-filled leaders as God will send us so that we can reach parts of this city that are as yet unreached with the good news of Jesus. Fill them with a thriving uh, local community where worship is central, where the presence of God is not an optional extra, but the fundamental engine on which the church is operated, not just a glorified social community, or a group that knows how to do social action and organize people, where every so often God might dance into the room and see if he's welcome and then pop out. So we need leaders who are thirsty and hungry for his presence, who will weep in his presence, who will recognize what it's like when he doesn't show up and who won't be satisfied with it. How is it that we've gone on for so many decades with the paucity of his presence and faith in the church and just said that's okay? Why is the spiritual temperature of this nation so low and why have we allowed that to be okay? It's devastating. It's devastating. What does it look like at this church to do that? Well, we've already developed, honestly, we've developed this by accident, by hook and by crook. (laughs) We've developed a four-stage partnership for raising up leaders. The first is a year internship for people to explore what kingdom life looks like. We had a number of people over the last five or six years through that. And we've joined that up now with a second year internship, which is a leadership internship for those who know that they're called to church ministry in some way. They don't know what it is necessarily. 
maybe youth work, maybe children's ministry, maybe worship leading, maybe uh, something else which I've forgotten. But they know the call to that, and the call to that for the long term, for the long haul. And then we have a, the next level, we have a training with our diocese, with St. Melitus, which is a theological college, which meets in this room, training for people who are called into church leadership. Now, we're already we're, we're putting lots of people through this. We've already sent people who've gone through this and been sent out. But expect this number of people to grow. And we're expecting this to grow and to begin to encompass an increasingly diverse group of people in every way. Uh, socially diverse, racially diverse, it will become more diverse in the age range. Many of you went to Focus this year with us and you heard uh, Nikki and Archie talk about the Caleb stream which is a, uh, and the Peter stream, two uh, streams for training and sending people who are called to church leadership who don't fit uh, the mold. And we're committed to playing our part with that as well. This is what we're praying for. Beyond that, we are raising up already and sending curates, which is a fancy Church of England word, for those who, who have now been trained for church leadership but are doing the kind of final apprenticeship. We have a number of curates at this church already. Uh, we have Mark. Uh, we have Beth. We have Joe. Amy's a, a technically a curate, although she's, as all of you know, already been my boss for the last, last six years. Is there anyone else I'm forgetting? We had George, and uh, we got rid of him. That's the next bit. <laughs> We're also committed to raising up other leaders who are called to other specific ministries. And again, our diocese has uh, got a number, at least two pathways available for people who know they're called to church ministry and want that level of training and engagement, but they don't want to lead the church. But they still want that level, and we have a number of pathways that if you're in that uh, path, we'd love to talk to you about that. And then finally, we have those who we're called to plant and to send, to lead churches. And we've begun to do that. We've begun to send leaders to renew churches, and we expect to continue to do this and to send them to plant new church communities beginning across this city, and we're interested in whatever God would have us do across this diocese, across this nation, and to the nations. We have a couple of quick videos. Let's start with George's, if we can, and then do Jonathan and Christina's. Hello Trinity, we're Jonathan and Christina and we're so excited to connect with you today as part of the extended Trinity family. We are celebrating this week a year of being a church plant in Lady Bay and we are amazed by all that God has done among us, opening doors into the community. We have a brand new congregation with young families and people of all ages meeting to worship. We love seeing people come and unexpectedly finding themselves touched by God's presence. We've seen people reconnect with God, coming to faith for the first time. God is meeting with children in particular, and very often they're the ones bringing their parents to church. At Easter, I was speaking about Jesus in the local primary school. And at the end, a six-year-old leant forward earnestly and he asked me, how do I get hold of this book about Jesus? What haunted me was his expression that said something like, why has nobody ever told me about Jesus before? We are so thankful to have been part of the early Trinity story and we feel we've been carrying some of that DNA into what God's been doing here in Lady Bay. Thank you to all at Trinity who have personally blessed us and encouraged us on the way. Keep going Trinity, let's be courageous for the time ahead. Hi Trinity. 
lovely. It's so good to be with you, albeit via video. Um, for those of you who don't know us, we are George and Katie and Isaiah, and we are leading St. Wilfrid's Church here in the south of the city, um, part of the Trinity family of churches. Um, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> we have a, a vision here at St. Wilfrid's to fall in love with Jesus and overflow which is quite fitting for us with the River Trent running just outside the church building. Um, and we've been here about seven and a half months now. We've been so excited to see what God's been doing. We've, uh, we've seen people find renewal in their faith. We've seen people come to faith for the first time. Our numbers on Sundays have been growing as a representation of the hunger that we believe God is stirring uh, in this part of the city. And we're, all, we're really excited for what's to come. We always just been having some vision launches. We've got a marquee just in the paddock. Um, for just getting the church excited for what this next chapter might be, as you can sort of see around us, we've got lots of different buildings and space that God has given us, and we're hoping to revitalise some of these spaces in the coming months. Yes, and we've also got some new staff, which is very exciting, to help facilitate what we believe God is calling us uh, to, some specific areas God's calling us to in the parish. One of those is amongst young people, and we are going to be uh, working towards planting a worshiping community in Emmanuel Secondary School, just over the way. There are a thousand teenagers from all across the city, um, as well as developing youth ministry here. We've got an old man um, called Jacob Tyres, uh, you may or may not have heard of, um, and we're going to be running out for the new year and all sorts of other stuff. But we're really excited. We feel like God has got a plan for Wilford. We have a, there's a history in this parish of pouring out His Spirit, and our longing is the same today that God would pour out His Spirit um, in this parish and amongst its people um, for his glory. Amen. So for those that don't remember, Jonathan uh, Mole, who with Christina are leading Lady Bay Church, he was an ordinand here. Uh, a few years ago, and uh, many of you will remember George and Katie, I know, who were part of our team for a number of years as well. In addition to this, in the short term, it looks increasingly likely, I can say this with a, a reasonable, a very high probably degree of confidence, that St. Andrew's, which is the church at the top of the hill, not the Sikh temple next door, beyond that, the one at the top of the hill, uh, will be joining our family here at Trinity Church. And we're in discussions uh, with one other church uh, in the city to see what a Trinity community might look like in that place in a completely different context, completely different part of the city. Uh, and this is just the beginning. It's not the end of what God has for us, I know, but we are expecting to see more and more of this happening as we just pursue what it means to, look, uh, means to see a church on fire in a city alive. So, you were saying a couple of things to me, and I couldn't quite... What, what were the... Don't worry. Is that what you were saying? I'm not worried. I am now. So this vision encompasses the renewal of every single disciple, a recapturing of that great commission by the Holy Spirit. Would that all God's people recognize the call on their lives to carry the flame of the gospel wherever it is that God would send them, but also a process of setting apart some in particular for leadership in the renewal of the institution of the church in England. And who knows if God would will it even beyond. So how can you play your part? In the words of Joshua, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves to the, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. There is a growing sense that God has a great thing for us 
in his tomorrow. I don't know when that tomorrow is. I don't know whether it's literally tomorrow or whether it's a few years away. I have no idea. But there is a gathering sense of his nearness. He's coming closer. He's coming near. It is time to cling to him. Cling to him like never before. And this consecration means offering yourself, all of yourself, your whole self, your whole life. It means being open to his imagination for your future. I tell you the truth, it means letting go of whatever vision for your future you have held to this point. It means considering what God might be calling you into. And it does mean also giving. Giving yourself. But I want to say this, and I know we've been dancing around this these last few weeks. This vision is expansive. And we're only giving you the the droplets. You can't take the fire hose yet. There is more. But we cannot do this without a greater engagement in the area of financial resourcing. And I, I'm calling today, and we're going to talk about this specifically next week, and we'll have an opportunity as a community to do this. I am calling you today, if you are already giving, to prayerfully consider what God might be calling you to give additionally in this next season. And I'm calling if you're not engaged in financial giving in this church, and you feel like this is where God is calling you. If you don't, and you're just visiting, hands off. Go and invest somewhere else. Give your whole self somewhere else. But if this is home for you, I'm calling you to prayerfully consider to step into that uncomfortable place of trust in this area. And we'll talk more about that next week. So why don't we just close in prayer? And let's stand.